Could you turn in your Bible, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10? I believe we have some people from Holland here. So, good morgen. I think that's uh, Dutch. Uh, it's definitely German, and that's about as much as I know. But uh, thank you for coming today. I hope you can understand my Aussie accent. I have trouble with it myself, actually. Uh, but uh, there are other people visiting from all over the place. We do thank you for coming because, I don't know, about six of our families have gone away. So praise the Lord that we can have people take their place. Now, I'd just like to read the first six verses to start with of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And so, commencing with verse 1. <clears throat> now, I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with you, with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And we'll ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, we do thank you that we have this uh, wonderful opportunity every Lord's Day <coughs> uh, to come to your house and to open your word and Father, we just pray now that as we open it, that it would be your Holy Spirit that takes the message and applies it to our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been conducting a series uh, in Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, and I'm up to chapter 10. And uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we saw how Paul once again had to defend his ministry. He had to defend his ministry against false teachers who had come into the Corinthian church. It seems in order to promote their own ministry, these false teachers felt they needed to criticise Paul's ministry. It's a bit like we see in our modern politics. <clears throat> to get us to vote for them, one political party feels as though they have to tell us what's wrong with the other party. You need to vote for us because the other party... Uh, is doing a bad job, and what they're telling you is, is not the right thing. And so to promote their own party, they've got to discredit the other party. Well, this is what was happening in the Corinthian church that Paul was about to visit. Already in this chapter, in these uh, verses that we just read, Paul <coughs> uh, had to defend a criticism that his ministry was a carnal ministry. And he rebutted this, that criticism with, with these wonderful words that we've just read about uh, being a, a part of the spiritual warfare. He, his ministry, rather than being a carnal ministry, it was a spiritual battle. And so he rebutted that first uh, criticism uh, in uh, these first few verses of, of this chapter. Now, <clears throat> having answered that criticism in such a superlative way, Paul then went on to address a second criticism, uh, and this again um, is reminiscent of our own political climate. When politicians can't take their opposition down through their policies or their reputation, 
They, they will stoop to the grubby uh, tactic of personal attack. I remember when Julia Gillard was our Prime Minister. This type of personal attack was most noticeable. Whatever you think of Julia Gillard, she was our Prime Minister and she deserved to be judged on her policies or on her actions or on her, how she used her power. But how often did the media report on her hairstyle or on the dress she was wearing or on her body shape or on her weight? And there's no doubt that being a woman made her an even easier target. We need to be careful not to fall into the error of judging people on how they look or how they speak. This was exactly the type of personal attack on the Apostle Paul that was being made in Corinth in his absence, of course. People were saying they were, were, were criticising Paul for his appearance and for his speech. And so this is the second criticism that he answers in verses 11 to 12. So let me just read those verses. Having answered the criticism of uh, his ministry being a carnal ministry, he went on to say, verse 7, Do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ's, let, he, uh, sorry, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ's, even so are we Christ's. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for destruction, I should not be ashamed, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such an one think this, that, such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. Here we see that Paul had to address a personal attack that was made upon him and his ministry. Paul was being criticised for his outward appearance. And so uh, he didn't hide the fact that he, he knew what they were saying about him. So he asked the Corinthians this question, do ye look on things after the outward appearance? Now in verse 10, he outlined the criticism being touted against them. Let me read it again. For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Now, the first criticism being made against Paul uh, in this personal attack was that his bodily presence was weak. When a person met Paul, <coughs> he didn't appear to be physically strong. I think that's the idea here. Now, nobody really knows what Paul looked like. There are some not-so-flattering descriptions of Paul given in the Church Fathers, but the earliest of those descriptions was in the third century, so there was nobody around who'd met him. And so they can't be taken as fact. They're not very flattering, but they're not based on fact. We really don't know what Paul looked like. Now, there's no doubt he looked Jewish. <laughs> and he must have been fit because he walked hundreds of kilometres on Roman roads. Roman roads. Most of the travelling he did <coughs> through the hills and the valleys of the Roman Empire were on foot. So I would suggest to you that he was a very fit man. He also probably had serious scars from being stoned at Lystra. Remember that first, uh, <coughs> that second missionary, that was his first missionary journey. Uh, he was stoned <coughs> uh, by the people uh, that had come from Antioch and Iconium and they, the stoning was so bad, he was dragged out of the city and he was left for dead. 
Now, no doubt Paul would have had some scars or some broken parts of his body from having been stoned almost to death. The problem for Paul was that like in our modern times, the Greeks viewed the ideal form, the ideal male form as an athlete with bulging muscles and having a six-pack. Now, that was the ideal male form to the Greeks in those days. If Paul was the man to follow, (laughs) he didn't impress them with his physical appearance. And I dare say most of us uh, boys here, uh, we would have the same problem. I don't know how many of you have bulging muscles or a six-pack, perhaps Pastor Crockett, but most of us (laughs) uh, would have the same problem as the Apostle Paul. We probably wouldn't impress the Greeks. And also, when Paul opened his mouth to speech, his speech was, speech was criticised as being contemptible. The word contemptible basically means to be of no account. So his speech was nothing special to the Greek ear. Really, that's what it means. It was nothing special to the Greek ear. Now, my view is that Paul, when it came to his speech, was a Jew speaking Greek. So he would have had an accent like some of you people here. You have English, but you speak with an accent. So uh, he didn't speak in the the fluent Greek that those who admired oratory expected. The Greeks expected their orators to to have this wonderful wonderful fluent Greek. And Paul, well, he was a Jewish man who spoke with an accent and he didn't speak as an orator should. Paul was being criticised for his appearance and his speech. It was a grubby personal attack that some of the Corinthians seemed to be listening to. Now Jesus warned us of the folly of judging people by their outward appearance. Just flip back to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27. Matthew 23, verse 27, Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Jesus warned us not to be fooled by a person's outward appearance. We need to look on the inside, open the door to see what's truly inside to see what these people are truly about. We shouldn't be fooled simply because somebody looks good on the outside. The Apostle John told us we are to test the spirits. No matter how oppressive they are on the outside, we should try the spirits. Let's go over to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. John warns us, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false teachers are gone out into the world. These these are demons, not talking about demons, it's talking about false teachers, people who come and say that they are speaking for God. He said that if people come and say they're speaking for God, you've got to try them, you've got to test them to see if they are truly of God. And if ever there was a time we need to heed this scripture... 
It's in our age of televangelists and internet conspiracies. We need to check everything we hear and read with the word of God, and not just a small snippet of the Bible, but the whole counsel of God. Let's check it out. Let, don't say, oh, this was a credible source. This is the only credible source we have to live by, and we need to check everything out by it. Just not some little snippet taken out of context, but the whole counsel of God. We need to try the spirits to see if they be of God. Even though they might look good on the outside, even though they might sound impressive, let's check what's on the inside. Paul was aware of thing, that things, Paul was aware of the things that were being said about him. But he wasn't going to let his detractors get the upper hand. And so if we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 10 and verse 7, he reads the... Uh, he asked the question, do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trust to himself that he is Christ, let he, him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ's. Paul asked the rhetorical question, were they looking on the outward appearance? Now something you don't know is my glasses have uh, thrown a shoe. Uh, and if the bus can, you know, do that, uh, ah, thank you, I have a spare pair. Thank you, that's my lovely wife, uh, my beautiful assistant. Ah, oh, that's better. <laughs> uh, oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Paul asked the rhetorical question, were they looking at the outward appearance? He knew what was being said about him. Obviously, they were looking at the outward appearance and it wasn't right. So he went on to show them where they should be looking. He said, if any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, the any man is clearly a reference to those criticising Paul. The majority of the church people in Corinth, they were Paul's disciples. They were his children in the faith. But some of these, these false teachers had come in among the people and this is who he is targeting. If any of these men that had come into the flock, who were troubling the flock, were trusting to themselves, uh, that means they were convincing themselves that they belonged to Christ. If they were Christ and they were convinced that they belonged to Christ, then surely they would know that Paul also belonged to Christ. Anyone that was truly Christ would know that Paul belonged to Christ. It's a very good argument. It seems these new teachers... Troubling the Corinthians were self-appointed. He says it very clearly there. He says... Uh, if any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, they're self-appointed. There's a lot of that going on. We learn about these uh, men that were troubling the church in chapter 11. And so I'll, um, when, when we get to chapter 11, I will explain a little bit more about those troubling the church. I'll leave it till then. But these men seem to have claimed some authority over the church. In fact, in chapter 11, we'll learn that they claimed to be apostles just like Paul. And they were even boasting of their authority. They'd come amongst the church. They said, hey, we're apostles just like Paul. And they were boasting about it. Well, if they were boasting about having authority, then Paul went on to tell them he could boast more. He could boast more. Have a look at verse 8. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. Now, 
it seems in this chapter that Paul was willing to admit that he wasn't Hercules to look at, and he wasn't an orator like Demosthenes, but it really didn't matter what you looked like or how you spoke. Have a look in chapter, verse 1 again. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the, mercy, the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am, am base among you. Paul was willing to admit that in bodily presence he was base among them. But he also knew that he was a true apostle of Christ, unlike these false teachers. In verse 8 he said, if he should, you see, he said, for though I should boast. This is subjunctive mood, it's the mood of potential. If he potentially, if he did choose to boast about his apostolic authority uh, more than he already had, then he wouldn't be ashamed to do it. If I had to boast more, I wouldn't be ashamed to do it. And that's because he would simply be telling the truth about his God given commission. If he had to boast about his authority as an apostle, he wouldn't be ashamed to do it because that's the truth. Later on in chapter 12, Paul will outline the signs of a true apostle. And uh, he will show that he, he, he ticked all of the boxes. He could, he could show them that he could prove to them his apostleship and hence as an apostle his authority in matters of faith. Paul had received his apostolic authority from the Lord himself. He had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus and he'd been given his commission. Now Paul also makes it clear that he had received his authority not to destroy but to edify, not to pull people down but to build them up. For though I should boast somewhat more of the authority which the Lord hath given us, what for? For edification and not for destruction. Now as an aside, there's something we can learn from that. Here is a part of the mandate of every person who serves the Lord, whoever you are. The gifts God gives us and any authority we may have in matters of faith are for the edification of those we minister to and not for their destruction. There have been many in church history and even in modern times who have destroyed people's lives in the name of Christ. And by doing that, they have done irreparable damage to the gospel ministry and to the glory of God. There are no worse examples than the Crusades of the Middle Ages or the Inquisitions of the Catholic Church. Innocent blood was shed and many torches were applied by so-called servants of Christ. I can't believe some of the things they did to people. But even now, hardly a day goes by when some shocking revelation of abuse is uncovered, abuse perpetrated by those claiming to be the servants of God, it's still happening. All of this is anathema to God and should be a warning to us. Whoever we are, if we claim we are Christ's and speak in his name with his authority, then let's remember we have been given this authority for edification, to build people up and not for destruction. But Paul said if they wanted, if he wanted to boast more, uh, in fact the word there for more is much more, if he wanted to boast much more of the authority Christ had given, uh, then he wouldn't be ashamed to do it. But he wasn't going to boast. <laughs> so as not to add fire to his 
critics claims. And that's what he really he goes on to share in verses 9 and 10, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. If I, if I potentially uh, did boast about my authority, which the Lord has given me, uh, I shouldn't be ashamed, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. Why, was, why would that worry of him? Because of the criticism. For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. If Paul had reinforced his authority in this letter, his critics would just have told the Corinthians, well, that's just Paul's way. Yes, he was weighty and powerful and could terrify in his letters, but when he was present, well, he really wasn't that scary at all. So the suggestion was that they could ignore Paul's letters. Paul knew what the criticism would be, so he warned them, that the next time he came, <laughs> he would be in presence as he was in these letters. And that's really what verse 11 is about. Let such and one think this. Such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. Let such and one, the such and one here is the any man in verse 7. And it's almost as if Paul's giving a challenge to those outsiders who had come into the church. If he had to, Paul was willing to take them on when he visited. It's almost like a challenge. If you guys are going to persist in, in the, the criticisms you're making and in the, in the teaching that you're giving to the church, then I'm willing to take you on. They ought not to think he was going to be meek and mild Paul towards any wolf who had come in to destroy the flock. He may have been base among them. He may have been weak in bodily appearance. He may have been contemptible in speech, but he was a force to be reckoned with when it came to defending the truth and protecting the flock. When I thought of this, I remembered how Paul faced off Elymas, the sorcerer in Cyprus. Uh, Cyprus, Elymas tried to, to turn the governor away from the faith. Paul was preaching to him, sharing the gospel with him and, 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 and the governor was starting to believe him and so Elymas uh, tried to turn the governor away from the faith. Acts 13, 9 and 10 tell us uh, Paul's reaction. It says, Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, Oh, full of subtlety and all mischief, Thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And then he made the man blind. That was Paul in person taking on a Satanist <laughs> in front of the Roman governor. He was usually meek and base as Jesus was. But he was equally fearless in defending the truth and protecting the flock. So if any man or such and one thought that they could ignore his letters or his person, then they were wrong. Any wolf who'd come amongst that flock ought to be worried by his coming. And so like Jesus and Paul, we need to be meek. That ought to be our normal disposition. We who are in Christ ought to be known to be meek like our Lord. But we should also be willing and ready to stand against error and to protect the flock when needed. So in these first 11 verses, 
of this chapter, Paul powerfully defended his ministry against two spiteful criticisms. In the rest of the chapter, he went on to have a go at his critics about how they compared each other with each other and commended each other, of course. But that'll be the subject of our next message. But there are a few lessons that we can learn and take home from the message today. Firstly, we mustn't judge people on their outward appearance. We mustn't do that. Secondly, we mustn't think that we need to be something special to serve the Lord. In fact, right at the beginning of his first epistle, Paul told us that God has chosen the weak things to confound the strong and the simple things to, to, to confound the, 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 the wise. Uh, God chooses, often chooses the weak. We don't have to be something special to serve the Lord. We've just got to be willing to do it. And then thirdly, we must use our gifts and our authority to edify and not destroy those we serve. There's a few little lessons we can take from the message today. Let's, let's just thank the Lord and, and commit those to him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the privilege of being able to open your word today. We thank you for man, this man Paul and the example he was to us. We thank you, Father, that there are indeed lessons for us to learn about how we ought to, uh, Lord, serve and, and uh, Lord, how you would want us to treat others. Lord, we just pray now that you would uh, help us to focus on these things and if there's a, a need that we have in our life to apply these things, we pray that your Holy Spirit will do that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to now.